I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Michael Damanis. He received the Juniper Prize for his first book, My Soviet Union. He teaches at Bennington College, just down the street from me, and he divides his time between Bennington, Vermont, and Brooklyn. He is in charge of the reading series at Bennington College. Uh, I'm so glad he is because he's brought me many happy evenings of poetry with the people he brings into the campus. And he is also the editor of the Bennington Review. He's received numerous fellowships and awards, as you might expect. We're not going to go into details. We're just going to get started talking to Michael right now. And Michael, you know, before we turned on the microphone, we were talking about teaching poetry. Can it be taught? And let me let me phrase it this way. If you're going to teach me to write poetry... What would you do? <laughs> um, well, I would... That's, that's a very good way of phrasing it. I mean, because that's, that's what I have to do every term. Um, I, I think that, um, in general, um, it's, it's the, the question that it, can poetry be taught could be rephrased to be, can writers be encouraged? Can um, one develop as a writer? Is there a way that being in a classroom setting... Um, makes somebody develop faster? Can um, assignments be a kind of accelerant to one's process? And I think the answer is yes, right? Um, I think that uh, that if you write a certain way at the beginning of a term and you discover things um, after after a series of uh, conversations with with uh, other writers um, that make you a different writer, if you change, well, then something is happening that's beneficial. So, I, so um, one way to do that, I think, is to really focus on on decisions that we make when we write. Uh, every time you put a word on the page, you're making a choice. You could have made any other choice, right? And and you've given yourself permission to choose one word over another word, right? Or to break a line um, in one place um, as opposed to another place to end a poem before you initially expected to, and so on and so forth. Um, some of these choice, some of these choices are obvious to us as we write, but some of these choices feel like defaults. We don't necessarily think about why we used a particular article before mm. a word, or or why we decided to um, say I did not, I didn't open the door, as opposed to I failed to open the door, I couldn't mm. open the door. I mean, those are completely different sentences, right? I didn't yeah, open the door. I yeah. failed to, I neglected to open the door. Um, I chose not to open the door. <laughs> the door did not open. <laughs> um, I think we get a list poem out of this. <laughs> I mean, yeah. But like, but like, but, e- but each of these, you can, ch- and you can choose to, yeah, and you can choose to list them. You can choose to say several of them. Or you could say, I opened the door. After having said in the poem, I didn't open the door in the first five drafts of the poem, you think, wait a second. Well, what if I did open the door? <laughs> what would that poem be? Right? And I think that a lot of the process especially in a first class for a writer um, when I'm teaching a class, is to get you to consider the difference between I didn't open the door and I failed to open the door. And what, what if I opened the door, right? What if you take the eye out entirely? <laughs> what if it becomes an instruction? <laughs> open the door, right? Um, and, uh, and all of these lead, lead to different... And if any one of those was a first line, they would inherently yeah. lead to a different likely set of second lines, right? And so, so you may discover through taking classes that 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 you have you have 
a near infinite number of choices at your disposal, these choices have consequences. We are likely to hear I failed to open the door differently than we hear I did not open the door. Yeah. There wasn't a door. You know, and, um, <laughs> and uh, um, so, so that's one thing. And also you might give yourself permission to say things that you didn't realize were true. Or that were untrue before you said them, like, I opened the door, if in fact you didn't, right? Um, or um, you might start thinking of a line in a different way. You might notice that somebody else's poem, um, that you're reading a poem by somebody else that doesn't, that, that doesn't follow the quote-unquote rules you thought poems naturally follow, mm-hmm. right? Where the logic of the poem is different, where, um, where the writer tries, it goes on a tangent every several Lines or sees the enjambment at the end of a line as a pivot through which they can go on a tangent, like the poet Dean Young does frequently, for example, right? And you think, huh, well, maybe I'll try that in my work. What'll happen? And so when I teach, I really teach through a kind of mimetic imitation of a very aesthetically diverse group of writers, right? Where we, where we read a book by a poet and we discuss as a class the various techniques that 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 the poet seems to employ multiple times. Mm-hmm. And dozens of techniques. We put them all on the board, right? We then, um, we could do this, let's say, with, uh, with Mary Rufel is a poet we've done this with before, for example. Um, or um, with Evie Shockley. Or a lot, there's a lot of contemporary poets who are very, uh, Terence Hayes, who are very distinctive stylistically, right? Yeah. Um, and where we try to figure out how they end up making the poems they make by trying to do similar yeah. things. So, We're not imitating their poems. Yeah. So a class kind of, it, and actually, I think the good, the way I think of it is it condenses your experience. A lot of this stuff is pulled together in, in much less time as a student. You encounter these poets who you probably never, maybe never heard of. The prof knows about them. That's the advantage. You read eight to, and eight to these ten things books. get brought into you. Yeah, you read eight to ten and the other poetry yeah. in a semester. They're all radically different from one another. And then once we write down what all of these techniques are, yeah. we try. We um, the assignment is write a poem that does some of these things. If the poet we just read uses short lines um, and tends to break before the last word in the sentence. So that the next line yeah. is the end word of a sentence, period, and you move on. The poet Elena Kalidiak Davis does this repeatedly in her first book, for example. So you start noticing things like that, yeah. right? And so, and try doing that. Don't necessarily refer back to the poems in the book. Mm-hmm. Don't, you're not writing an imitation. You're writing your own poem. But your own poem will have short lines. Or your own poem will break. break in a particular way. Yeah. Or, or we noticed, we discovered that the poet Dean Young um, often uses lists of three um, uh, of three nouns as sentence fragments in his poems. So, what if you do that a couple of times? What happens, yeah. right? Um, so that's so that's an example, right? Yeah, I was in a workshop with some friends uh, years ago, and one of the best assignments we gave ourselves was to write like each other, and we were assigned somebody else from the group. And it was it's amazing to me what you noticed when you went back in our folders and picked out the last six poems this guy brought to the workshop and what was he doing and then try to do it well it's, you're giving yourself permission yeah. to make different choices than you're used to making another kind of assignment it's also just about getting you to consider ways of approaching writing that you haven't considered before so another assignment may involve um, finding uh, reference text or any other non-literary text uh-huh. or text that wasn't intended to be literary text 
that was published in 1850 or earlier. It's good to do on a college <laughs> campus where there's a library, but you can find these texts online sure. or in a rare bookstore or, or used bookstore. Um, and you find and you find you find a text, and you have to write a poem that appropriates text from the from the from this book. So oh, so cool. if you if you read the memoir of a late 18th century surgeon. You know, and you have to use sentences from that memoir in your poem. It inherently deranges your language, so you are you are forced out of your comfort zone, and you're forced to try to tr to try to incorporate the ways you would normally write with yeah. with uh, 18th century diction with. I don't know, something about witchcraft from the Malleus okay. Maleficarum and so on. Students have got to love you because anybody who says he's going to intentionally derange your diction, <laughs> that's a good thing to say. <laughs> well, I mean, unless, I feel like unless you, <laughs> unless, you change, unless you change your approach in whatever way you want, unless you discover ways you might want to change your approach, you're, re you're really staying in the same place. And it's just a way of accelerating one's evolution as a writer. Yeah. All right. Well, we better hear a couple of your poems. This is great. This is great. So, okay, so here's the and, poem. And anything you want to say about them, because since we're in this audio-only format, um, you know, if, you've, if you have commentary you wouldn't usually give in a reading, that's okay, because people only can listen, you know. Of course, they can go back and listen again, which is good. So I have a manuscript that I'm yeah. basically finished, or I'm in the process of finishing, um, with the working title Creature. Um, and so I'm going to read... read um, sure. Post from that. Um, okay. I want to read um, a couple of fairly recent poems uh, that have a lot to do with uh, having a, th a child um, who is. I have a, I have a son who's uh, um, now almost four, um, and uh, will turn four this September. Um, who ha is delightful and engaging, and also. Quite challenging, and um, in a way, and I definitely, and the title of this manuscript in progress has. There's, there's a lot of ways that title resonates to this manuscript, but I would look at this ten-month-old, year and a half-old, two-year-old, and think, "Who is this creature? What is he doing here?" <laughs> and, and the creature would often do things that seemed that seemed um, to extend the metaphor quite alien. <laughs> and, and so this poem. Um, touches on this. Um, both of these first two poems that I want to read um, touch on this. So this is a poem called The Empire of Light. The baby pulls my wrist into his mouth. The baby wants to eat my face. So does the dog, the one that I don't have, who lazes at the razor edge of vision, whose curved shadow when I'm still flat on my back, opening up like a gift the new morning clouds over me. The sister asks me to apologize for 1985 to 93. I screen all calls from the persistent bank. The baker calls. The baker wants her pie back. Even the fan, worrying the air from its perch on the ceiling, sucks breath from my lung. The future wants its diaper changed. I stroll it past the drooping wisteria to the family dollar where I contemplate our next move. In the suburban zoo, we gawk at cages. We are surrounded by musical notes of bright weather. The panda turns its back on us like an unhappy god. I take the baby home. He'll live forever, I'm almost sure. 
He laughs like fire laughs, inexorable heat, blue flame unraveling. I have barely begun the day, I think, towards evening. The baby presses at my collarbone. You know what makes us happy? The whole world. We're swaying to a prelude by Ravel. We're waving goodbye to the empire of light. Our destiny is red, purple, and black. Another poem that has to do with the same creature. And um, so my son um, um, is not the most articulate three-year-old and um, is probably a little harder to understand than your run-of-the-mill three-year-old sometimes when you first, when you first meet him. And he, ha and he has um, low muscle tone in his lips and we're in the process of figuring out what to do about it. Um, and um, this was on my mind enough that this following poem came out of it. And the title is kind of a silly pun. Um, at first I titled the poem Enunciation, which was what I was concerned about. And then gradually the poem became Annunciation, which is what happened you know, to Mary, etc. Um, Annunciation. The words I put in him he troubles with and over, shifting in reverse the syntax of, as though a poet troubling the line with malaprop, but not a poet yet. He's three. He's lived less time than most of the anxieties I've nursed for him. Please don't roll over on the other boy, I whisper from the ball pit's burbling edge. Three years after he opened into the fluorescent, annunciative light of the extraction room, his eyes, I case the boiling pit's perimeter for his lit smile and fail to understand one thing he feels, this human foal, vortex of appetite, machine of noise, child who won't blow the softest sound into the penny whistle, this charming man who can't quite purse his lips to activate the bubble wand, tiny muscles refusing to hoist the necessary sails. The future promises countless encounters with useless specialists waving in his face wands, while tonight my son waddles out three hours after being put down, the muslin penguin pajamas sagging slack at the hip to murmur to himself amid the assembled living room wreckage of miniature trains with trance-like clarity, his eyelids half-glued, this is my whole life, this is my whole life, and my world too. Oh yeah. Now you were before before I forget trains and trans like I love that. <laughs> it just leaped right out of me from the things you were saying. But but uh, before we were talking about uh, the idea of a poem. I think you got this from Jerry Graham. A poem starting from A, going to B, but somewhere in the middle there's an X factor. Sure. And could you? Use one of those poems, or maybe both, whatever, to to talk Absolutely. about that idea. So it's so a really neat idea. When I was a student, um, the poet Jory Graham said this thing that really stayed with me, um, where she said, "You know, guys, if you start with point A and you have this point B in mind that you want to get to in the poem that you will write, and you sit down at, at point A and you write the lines that you have to write in order to get to point B and you get to point B, you've expressed yourself, but you haven't actually written a poem. The poem is not, is not the thing you had in mind before you started writing, which gets you to point B. If, however, 
starting at point A, in the process of writing, you discover a point X that maybe way past point B, maybe in a completely different direction, maybe maybe a giant swerve in the middle of the poem. Um, that journey to that point X that you never would have reached, that you never would have discovered if you hadn't started on this journey and noticed an opportunity to get to point X, that journey, that process, that's your poem. And... Um, and that really stayed with me because the poem, first of all, the cement of the poem was a journey. The poem was a kind of discovery. The poem wasn't just expressing something that I couldn't express another way, but the poem was actually the only way to find the thing that I was trying yeah. to express. And the language, because there's nothing else in a poem, a poem is a machine made of words, right? So there's, no, there's nothing else other than these Good. words that can lead you there, right? So, so I knew... Um, I, I knew that what mattered was writing lines that could lead me somewhere that was a breakthrough, that was a surprise. Yeah. Um, I would say that The Empire of Light, the first poem that I'm describing, mm -hmm. fits this more in the sense that the second poem, um, um, Annunciation, I always knew where it would end, right? I knew my, my son wandered out, right? Um, and said this incredibly philosophical thing while p possibly sleepwalking, right? Um, <laughs> and that, that um, made me realize that he had this a significantly richer interior life than I, than I okay. previously yeah. Yeah. <laughs> discovered. I knew that the poem needed to end there. There, I didn't know what the journey was. And so I think I was trying to find my way to the point that I knew the poem had to... And with yeah. that's not com that's not a common thing. Mm -hmm. In this case, um, in the Empire of Light, um, what I knew is that my son kept biting me. Right, right. He starts um, off the baby biting pulls you. my wrist yeah. into his mouth. The baby wants to eat my face. Right, each line logically follows, or you know, or yeah. there's a, there's a connection between each line and the line before mm -hmm. it. But I don't know where I'm going, you know, um, because after I say the baby wants to eat my face. I start thinking about an imaginary dog that, um, that, you don't that, have, that I don't have that may also want to eat my face. And then I think about everybody else who wants something from me. And I think initially I might have had a line in this poem. I, I know that at some point I had written on the page, everyone wants something from me. Hmm. You know, and I think that, and I think actually um, that was the third line at some point. It was the baby pulls my wrist into his mouth. The baby wants to eat my face. Everyone wants something from yeah. me. And then yeah, I listed... Yeah. The dog and the baker and the banker and the sister and yeah. you know um, and um, but yeah. but I realized that I didn't need the line. You don't need that generalization, no. Just get on with it. Right? And that's actually yeah. another phrase from like from studying poetry in an academic setting. In my case, where where I would have teachers refer to the lines you need to write, but then take out as scaffolding. Mm. And I find the idea of scaffolding very interesting, though one can also argue that you know. Um, the scaffold. Sometimes the scaffolding may be the most interesting thing, right? But um, but in general, as a kind of default, right? Yeah. The, thinking about a poem as a kind of construction, right? As a kind of building, yeah. as a building that consists of various rooms, right? And um, and then you need to, you need it to stand up, so you need to build things around it. And yeah. once it stands up, you can identify what those things are and take them out. And so so that was the genesis for a lot of those lines. But then um, then you got to the zoo, right? and then and then I start walking, <laughs> which is exactly it's like I'm taking a journey, right? I mean, then I'm walking, um, and at some point the poem turns for me quite you know, quite somber. You know, where where when I realize that the panda in the zoo is an unhappy god, right? 
question of mortality arises in the poem. The idea of thinking of the baby um, who's constantly changing is the future, right? As both a constant and a variable and something that, that changes over time, but also as something that is finite but seems so infinite, right? Um, gets me to he'll live forever, I'm almost sure, right? And then and then it's about destiny. And so and then it's about and then I'm dancing with this baby pressed at my collarbone and I'm listening to music and and the sun is setting, right? And our destiny is red, purple and black. So that's actually a really good example of what I'm saying where yeah. where I didn't know that, that line surprised me when I wrote it. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. And it makes the point much clearer to have a, a concrete example like that. Super. Well, how about doing another poem then? I would love Alrighty. to. Alrighty. See. Um, okay, so I'll read this because it's um, a little different. So this is a poem called Autobiography. Attempted avoiding abysses, assorted abrasions and apertures, abscesses. At adolescence, acted absurd. Acid, amphetamines. Amorously aching after an arguably arbitrary Abigail authored an awful obad. I'm always arabesquing after Abigail's. I'm always afraid. An affliction? Animals auger an avalanche. Animals apprehend abattoirs. Am as an animal anxious. Appendages always a flutter. Am an amazing accident alive. Attired as an apprentice aerialist addressed acrophobic audiences. <laughs> Aspiring as an adult after acolytes attracted an awestruck angelic auteur. After an asinine affair, an abortion. After an asinine affair, avowed agnostic approached alone an Abbey's altarpiece asking alleged almighty about afterlife. Ambled adagio around an arena. Admired an ancient aqueduct. Eight aspic, adored and ate assorted animals, ascended an alp, affected an accent, acquired an accountant, an abacus, assets, attempted atonal arpeggios. <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> a lot of sound fun there. I've exhausted the letter A. Yeah, I think so. And now the letter B. <laughs> right. Oh boy. <laughs> but I was interested in this idea. I'm, Inherently interested in um, the connection between the poet's life or even the speaker's life and the poem and what is revealed and what is not revealed, right? And what, what it means to say that something is autobiographical or to say that something is <laughs> confessional and, and um, how language can generate autobiography or how language can generate uh, yeah. confession. A remarkable number of the... Not all, but many of the things I said in this autobiography are true. They're also, or, or possibly true, or somewhat true. Um, um, uh, and this is probably as autobiographical as I can get when I can only start every, yeah. every word with the letter A. Um, now, I would imagine, if I were writing that poem, I would imagine writing those lines independently and later looking at where to put them. Oh, That's in a poem me. like this, you know, I do that. I, I do that a good amount, but not in this poem. This poem is written really rapidly, um, and um, in one in one sitting, um, where where I wanted to see what would happen if I cre- if I if I restricted myself this way, um, and I think the lines actually came in the order. I'm actually sure that the lines yeah. came in exactly the order that. 
they um, they appear in the poem. Yeah. Um, though I would say I more often than not do what you say. I collect lines. I think of a poem very much as something that consists of individual lines and a practice I really believe in and I've been relying on quite a bit. Um, I'm, if anything, I may be moving away from it a little bit, is I would go to museums um, at any opportunity and, and art exhibitions and I would give myself the assignment that I couldn't walk past an art installation um, or a description of an artwork or a painting or what, what have you um, without writing something down in a notebook. Ooh. It didn't matter if it, it could be a literal quote from the caption. It could be um, the factual description of an, of an image that you see mm -hmm. in front of you. It could be an oppositional thought. It could be a non sequitur. It cool. could be indirect, like not even related mm -hmm. to the thing I'm looking at. And then um, to do this until my stamina um, gave up on me, right? And um, um, my, my, so my mental stamina gave up on me. And um, you fill a notebook incredibly fast. Yeah. And then instead of writing about the artwork in front of you, you write the poem you want to write using using these lines yeah. when they become available, when they give you permission to go in a direction you wouldn't have otherwise. That's a very cool idea. Gone yeah. in, and, that, and that's been very effective that's for me. And I, yeah. I recommend this as something to try. It, actually, it tends to work more. I think this would be different for different people. For me, um, my imagination is most activated by looking at uh, um, um, various periods of 20th century art. Yeah. Um, particularly, uh, particularly at surrealism and a lot of modernist painters, yeah. um, and also at some conceptual, like, like late twentieth century conceptual art. Um, but I think this can be done with other periods. I think it's a great well. activity, man. Um, I'm, I'm going to do it, and I, I, I really recommend it. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and you you see you see what poem comes out of. It. In fact, I'm going to read you a poem that was written exactly through that. Cool. Um, and it's, yeah. called, it's called State of the Union. All right. I, I could talk to you forever, but this is going to be our closing poem. Terrific. It's great. State of the it's Union. Really good. State of the Union. Okay. We paint the bedroom walls quixotic plum. We paint the bedroom ceiling foggy day. You paint your nails and eyelids peacock blue. We drive to photograph the flying buttresses of the flamboyant oil refinery and stay through dusk to catch the glimmering reflections of its lights against the ship channel and also the striated moon in the water rippling alongside an incontrovertible fact. You whisper, how much would it cost to reupholster the Chrysler? You are as elegant as a grand piano. You throw tantrums for a living. You make a good living. Everyone is rich for a little while. Everyone is happy for a little while. Even a day is a very long time. And for a while, the spoons and butter knives continue to reflect our sunburnt masks. For years, we act astonishingly lifelike, running one's lips across the other's thorax, painting the stairs and hallways golden fleece. It would be nice to believe in a god. Children step out of our curtains and ask us to hold them. Ours is the only of possible worlds. Femur, pubis, ribcage, sternum, clavicle. We close our eyes when we get tired of looking at each other. In my dream, it is always the same. Having painted my breath frost and my hair quicksilver, I stand with my luggage outside, getting ready to board the slow train to Albania. The night is heavy, but her skin is soft. 
Night comes at me across the lawn until I fall. She covers my mouth with her Novocaine mouth. Little torpedoes of grass shard my back. Night paws at me with her 5,000 hands, then rubber bands her limbs around my neck. She prays into my ears. They turn to moss. Possibly this is the only end. Dust, the star-addled, wind-saddled black flag of the sky waving over us. When I grow up, I do not want to be a headstone. When I grow up, I want to be a book. Oh. is You went multiple places, but the first one, when the, with a reupholstered Chrysler, it was like you suddenly went, whoop, into another world. That was really so lovely. Uh, yeah, I love that poem. Thank you. Really. Um, and yeah, and in a poem like this, lines are, I mean, this is literally being at an art exhibit. In this case, it was the, it was the Biennale in Venice. You know, and, and deciding, it was the first time I thought to do this, and I thought, you know, the way that art exhibit is set up, you, um, you um, every country has a pavilion, and you go to a pavilion, yeah. and then you see what Austria has on display, and you go to France, and you know, everything is curated by a different curator. And the idea was, I won't leave a pavilion until I come up with, with a line, yeah. and then let's see how I can get them all together. Great, great technique. It really, really works. Man, it's really wonderful. Okay, folks, you've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm your host, Charlie Rossiter, our feature poet, Mike Devanis. He teaches at Bennington College, where he is also the editor of the Bennington Review. Be with us again next time to let poetry speak to you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Monley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com.